this country, you've got to make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. This is Money Talks. Guys, um, what do we got this week for our well, financial situation? You know, most of these situations actually, well, I should say some of these situations are structured to convey certain points that we want to make. Uh, and, and a lot of times that's what we end up doing. But in this case, uh, we actually are seeing very much of what uh, Alex and Terry, who are uh, our case study folks this time, uh, are, are going through because this sort of revolves around the fact that the market is still, as of the recording date of this show, hovering around some all-time highs. And, right. you know, it's it, it makes it very uh, challenging to determine, okay, well, if I want to put new money to work, so to speak, then how should I go about that? And that's really what Alex and Terry are faced with here in terms of putting money into the market. They want to continue investing. They certainly don't want to hang on uh, to the cash that they have or their monthly savings amounts uh, that they've been saving. And so really are being faced with the decision on whether or not to put that all to work up front. Uh, if they're going to wait, how, how spread out should they uh, put in to the market, uh, and, and over, you know, what time frame? Some folks, uh, we, we do this often for our clients, uh, especially ones that have large sums of money that maybe they've acquired through an inheritance or, uh, you know, even, even rollovers uh, a lot of times that come over and just have a substantial amount of cash. The question is always in markets like this, okay, well, then how quickly do we enter into the market? And that can vary, you know, depending on, uh, how the client feels about the market, which is one of the first things I always like to do. And in this case, if I were working with Alex and Terry, would want to kind of get their feelings about where uh, the market stands because it, it is uh, interesting to get the client's take on this a lot of times to say, well, some still feel it's got room to go. And that, you know, this may be based on what they're hearing on TV or otherwise, while others are very hesitant to get into the market at all. But as we talk about very often, you know, not getting into the market, you know, could cause you to miss one of those 10 best days that, sure. that we always talk about. So it is a very real dilemma, I'll call it, uh, and one in which um, it's not the same answer for everyone. You know, right. your dollar cost averaging strategy might be different than mine and which might be different than Shauna's or Alex and Terry's. And so uh, this is something we wanted to address right now, given where the market's at. And it's something that seems to be so common with new money uh, that we're helping clients with at, at this point in time. And so uh, I don't know that there is a right answer uh, that would apply across the board. It's more of how do you feel? You know, if in 12 months, do you see us entering a downturn, entering a recession or otherwise, maybe you want to spread it out a little more. Some folks want to go 18 or 24 months. With my clients, I'll typically do it over a monthly basis, uh, you know, across the course of a year or maybe quarterly, depending on how quickly they want to get into the market. Uh, very rarely do I go beyond the 12 to 18 months, uh, but it all kind of uh, is based on how the client feels, in my opinion, uh, because they can feel so differently from person to person. So, part of Alex and Terry's situation would be dependent upon, uh, in, in my opinion, how they feel about the market. And I don't know, I know both of you guys are very involved in our dollar cost averaging process. I don't know what, what your feelings would be about someone who said, let's just say a million dollars. We've had a couple of these lately with folks have a million dollars in cash. They want to put it to work. Well, not only how do we do that, but how quickly do we do that? Right, the timing. Right. 
Yeah. And, and of course, we don't time the market, so it is a no. matter of. But but there is a decision to make to Absolutely. be made about timing, and as you said, Jared, uh, just how quickly do you want to get into the market? And uh, to be honest, we I think it warrants a little more time when the market seems to be at a top. Uh, you can't tell exactly what's going to happen next, but uh, we can see valuations relative to longer-term averages. And I've talked about this uh, a few weeks ago with Bill. Uh, the market looks a little expensive right now, and, and what I've encouraged people to do is make sure that if you are already invested, to make sure that you rebalance your account, make sure that it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it uh, reflects uh, your your long-term strategy. Because what can happen over time is uh, you can get uh, kind of out of whack. We were talking about dollar cost averaging and whether or not we get into the market. I rambled on for a minute about. Uh, you know, where we are in the market as far as valuation, which is something that I look at quite a bit. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, it looks, you know, the market looks about 20% expensive relative to uh, relative to its longer-term history. Sure. So um, when it gets like that, I, there's a couple of things working, and, and uh, you know, I'm not sounding the warning bell by any stretch of the imagination. What we saw in the first quarter with earnings and the, the gains that we made in earnings, what, over 15.5% growth? Uh, in earnings year over year, a lot of that from energy and the fact that uh, you know the price has rebounded in uh, in crude oil quite uh, quite a bit since the first quarter of 2016. But uh, you know when I still look at what's going on, it's still got me a little nervous about pounding the table and telling people just go all in. So yeah. uh, with a dollar cost average, like I say, you, you know, Jerry, you made the point we don't time the market. By that we mean we're not going to tell you to get all in or all out at any given time, but uh, it, sometimes it does make sense to go a little slower as, as when you're putting your money in. Uh, again, I made the point it's a great time to rebalance your portfolio to your long-term strategy, uh, making sure that anything that has outperformed other areas is is brought back and those pieces that have underperformed, it's probably a good time to to uh, put a little more money, allocate a little more money to those sectors as well. Sure. Um, There's other things that I take into consideration. So right now on fixed income or cash is still earning little to nothing. Absolutely. So e even if you invested in, you know, dividend paying stocks, you're getting cash flow on it, even if it does pull back. Sure. So I look at it as, you know, what am I investing in? If you're investing in dividend paying stocks or a portfolio of dividend paying stocks, such as we have here, then sometimes I do increase that a little faster, just given to get the dividend going. Sure. Okay. Cause that's the point of the portfolio. Um, I also look at, to your point, a rollover. So if you've rolled over money, I look at, well, how much was invested in growth? Because typically when you roll money over, they sell it from what you were invested in and put it in cash and send right. you a check. So if right. you're invested 100% in the stock market and you come over here and it's sitting in cash and we're trying to decide how fast to put that in, you know, it just, it obviously depends on what you said, the feeling of what the market is, but also, you know, I may invest that a little faster to get it, get it going too, because it was already in growth. Um, if you look at the market, I, I always love these statistics that we've put together um, in looking at past historical markets, sure. and this is on average, um, the market dips 5% three times a year, 10% uh, once a year, and then 15% every two years. So if you look at the averages when you're dollar cost averaging and looking at at least a 12-month period, you have a potential to take advantage of some dips during the year as well. Right. Yeah, That's the been, thing that I always think about when I'm, you know, looking at a lump sum, even though the market could look relative, a little expensive, it's still, there's no place else to invest your money to get that type of return. You know, we look at it as a long-term investment, absolutely. obviously. And, um, and then you think of the averages and the dips that you've seen. And that's, that's, 
an argument to say we should dollar cost average just, you know, so that you're not entering at one, you're not at the mercy of one trading day, and you can take advantage if there are the normal average dips that we see. Sure, yeah. We Last time we saw a, a decline in the market greater than 10% was uh, early. Well, it was kind of the end of December 2015 through February, mid-February right. of 2016. And then we did see a decline about 7 or 8%, something like that, before the election uh, which, you know, I've talked about before, generally indicates that you're going to see a change in the the uh, power uh, leading up to elections. Uh, we ignored that and still said we thought that Hillary was going to win, but the media was telling us the same thing, and uh, it seems like all the polls were giving us that same indication. Point is, it's been a while since we saw a 10% decline when you expect them on an annual basis. We're about 18 months out from our previous. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they don't come like clockwork. You can't really set your set your watch and expect that it's going to happen any given time. Uh, usually they're news-driven, and it makes it even uh, more protracted when we do see a market that looks a little expensive. So, again, uh, you know, that's the basis of, of my commentary. Uh, sure. uh, Sean, as you pointed out, uh, we look at the statistics, the long-run averages, and, you know, we, we kind of keep it in the back of our mind, but we still uh, expect to stay invested uh, if our long-term strategy calls for it. Your point about uh, fixed income, uh, when you've got inflation that's about 2.1 mm-hmm. and uh, you have to take some pretty significant risk in order to get over 2% uh, return. negative returning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you can't beat inflation, then you're losing purchasing power, which mm-hmm. uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The only reason that we try to sit uh, assets uh, into fixed income is so that we can avoid the volatility of the equities market and still save, uh, you know, the client's purchasing power while we're waiting on spending uh, that has been planned out uh, in, in advance. So, um, right, a ten-year rule. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if once once we run a financial plan, we try to uh, identify the uh, the spending needs within the next ten years and set aside uh, capital in fixed income securities that have limited volatility and those that we feel absolutely secure that we won't have a bankruptcy. Now, I say absolutely secure. Obviously, there's no guarantees in the financial markets, but if you try to buy and maintain that that high-quality standard in fixed income, we have found that over long periods of time it generally works out. And, you know, most of the fixed income investments we've been making these days, just because the yield in that high-quality space uh, is better in them, is CDs, and we make sure that they have insurance behind them, the, the uh, FDIC insurance. So, you know, Sean, we're going to have to make some room for this guy in the planning department. Oh, hey, look, <laughs> I, am, I am a friend of planners. <laughs> you can just call me the FOP. I love it. I love it's it. the same as fraternal order of police. It's just a little different with me. Well, you know what? Sounds uh, official. Yeah, so well, of course. Maybe, and maybe this would have been better prefaced with this entire conversation to kind of start here, but there's really, in my mind, two main points that we're really looking to to accomplish when we're dollar cost averaging. The first, I believe, would be to sort of minimize the risk of you entering in the market at uh, an inopportune time, right? But then by definition, and second point, is to lower your average cost per share. So for those of you listening, and I know this is not the first time we've talked about dollar cost averaging, but if, you've, if you're not familiar with the term, that, that basically is what you're trying to do by averaging yourself into the market is lower – the average cost per share over time. Now, of course, that won't be the case if the market's rising while you do this. However, uh, it is minimizing the risk of you entering the market at a time when it is so high 
uh, and then, you know, of course, following subsequently. So yeah, well, if you think about point. it, too, that's what's important to be diversified, because even when you're right. dollar cost averaging, there may be things that are down, even though the overall market is up, such as energy mm-hmm. right. or some yeah. other sector. Yeah, very true. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is a good point. Dollar cost averaging, you can you can just do the math real quick. Doesn't work through every uh, period of the market, but when you have volatility, without a doubt, it does. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that the market tends to be volatile. We haven't had a whole lot of that since 2009, to be honest. But uh, uh, sure. you know, we still expect that that potential for volatility is still there. So we still act in that same manner. Yeah, and and when you're dollar cost averaging into that up market, is that going to hurt your performance? Probably so, because you would have missed out on some of that return that you would have otherwise gotten had you been there. But I find that so many people really don't place any value at all on that opportunity cost that they're willing to accept up front in terms of in order to minimize the risk of me entering in the market at this time because it being it's you know with it being so high, then I'm actually reducing my risk and there's a value in that you know it's it's hard to see that value when you look back at it and the market's gone up and it's right. like okay well I, I missed out on this return well yeah but that's because you reduce your you reduced the level of risk you were taking on by doing that and so if that's valuable to you if that's if it's meaningful to you on on the front end then i think it's very hard to put a quanti- quantifiable value on that but it does get overlooked because we have to have these conversations with clients when we dollar cost average yeah. and the market goes up and then it's like, well, I'm trailing the market. Well, yeah, of course you are. You know, you've had cash sitting on the sideline or in sure. fixed income while we dollar cost average it. Jared, it's it's funny you bring that up because now I'm going to invite you into the research department. These are the kind of things that we talk about uh, when, when you're talking places. about that. Uh, well, why don't we just work together, which is what we're supposed to be doing anyway. What? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you and I are on the same team, believe it or not. Uh, so here's the way that works, and you can't actually quantify that. It's called uh, the Sharpe Ratio. It's a, yeah. a concept of return uh, based on the amount of risk that you're taking. How much risk are you taking to get a similar return? And, you know, the math is pretty simple. It probably doesn't work well on radio, but I'll go ahead and throw it out there. It's the return on your portfolio minus the risk-free rate, which is considered to be uh, mm-hmm. basically treasury. a 20-year re- treasury yield, divided by the standard deviation of the portfolio, which is uh, the difference on a daily basis uh, relative to the average uh, daily return on on a stock or a a stock portfolio. So uh, all things considered, uh, you can quantify that. Uh, We've seen and done a lot of work as to what actually works best with a a beta, which is, uh, you know, return relative to the market. And it seems like over long periods of time, a beta less than one, meaning a portfolio that Mm -hmm. goes up less and goes down less than the overall market tends to give you that uh, that better return. But uh, we got several other questions to uh, answer. What we're going to do right now, though, is take one more break, and uh, we'll come back and give you a way that you can contact us, and uh, we'll talk about uh, some questions that we've gotten from listeners. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. 
Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.